Hello, all, and welcome to episode number 10 of the Cut Curator Podcast. I'm your host, Rob G., the general. On this episode, we will be talking to the scientist of sound, the man we all know and love, Kwame, a.k.a. the boy genius. There's a lot happening on this episode. He's going to share when he first fell in love with hip-hop, the one song that truly changed his life, how his biggest hit song, Only You, was actually a social experiment that went right in some areas and wrong in others. The time he inadvertently won a prestigious porn award, why he almost came to blows with his childhood idol Slick Rick, and how Biggie's line from Unbelievable closed the doors of hip-hop on him. Yet he was miraculously able to reopen those doors with the help of one of Biggie's producers. Got that all coming up next on this episode of the Cut Curator Podcast. We're going to pick it up from July 2015. We were actually watching Caitlyn Jenner receive the Arthur Ashe Courage Award during the ESPYs. And we were trying to explain to some millennials in the room how big of a deal Bruce Jenner was back in the 70s. To everyone around the world, I just want to say thank you so very much for all your support. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe to Cut Curator Podcast. It's just a little labor of love I got going on. That's it. Without any further ado, let's get started with Kwame, the boy genius, right now on episode number 10 of the Cut Curator Podcast. Or James Harden coming out. Yeah, <laughs> man. They are signed. They are signed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's with a Kardashian. Uh, <laughs> he's with one right now. All right. So we're hollering at Kwame. <laughs> the, the boy. Yeah, it's like, speaking of Bruce Jenner, we got nah. Kwame. Like, what? Speaking of Bruce Jenner. <laughs> oh, my God, man. Oh. 76, tell me your mindset, man. Bruce Jenner, he was, to you was what? Well, 1976, Bruce Jenner was all over the place, but I'm gonna have to keep it 1,000% real. Like, yo, it ain't nobody over Muhammad Ali, you know. So, Bruce Jenner was the man in America's eyes and on our, on our, on our, on our Wheaties box, and he was the guest star all the time on the Love Boat, and he was on the Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He was all over the place, but for you know, uh, uh, uh. A black kid like me, I'm like, you know, you ain't getting greater than Muhammad Ali, man. And and then I even had my comic book, Muhammad Ali versus Superman. I got that. Where, where it was he the big, beat it was the ultra size. Neck out. And I was like, right. yeah, you know, I'm like, hey, you can't. Because they took him to a nat- neutral planet. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. threw the kryptonite light <laughs> yeah. on and he yeah. knocked him out. <laughs> and everybody, yep. And Yo, it was it was I a still, comic book. Yeah, I, I got that comic book. Yeah, I still and have. It, and in the comic book, they had all these, they drew all these other Celebrity, stars, celebrities. Yeah. And, 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 and in the back of the book, the you, you could go, it was the numbers. It was Curry, so you could go back there and you could check out. Yeah. See, see, my man, I, I see you're a fellow geek, man. So shout out to all my <laughs> geeks. That comic book was drawn by Jim Starlin, and, and Jim Starlin is like a beast at sci-fi type of comic books. You know, whether he did his Marvel run with like um, Silver Surfer or you know that Superman um, Muhammad Ali. Don't get me started on my my comic. I'm gonna mess you up on this one. So that big huge comic book, you know how I mess mine up. Oh, you're killing me. My man. Stretch Armstrong. I was playing with my Stretch Armstrong, uh, and the goo came the out. The green goo. <laughs> the green goo. <laughs> and the green goo got stuck with another comic book on uh, there. So, like, the front of it is messed up. The inside is still good, but the but the outside the outside cover is thrown off. Because, yeah, you know, for a birthday present, somebody actually bought me a fresh one. And then the cool thing is they, they reissued it and made it, like, a, a hardcover book. So you can't get the... 
the original, and it was an original one was only for a dollar. That's the right. crazy thing. How much you can? How much was is it selling for now? Um, for that one, I it was it was a hundred and fifty bucks. Really? For that one? Yep. Oh yeah. my God! I'm about to go back there. Yeah. Go back to mom house, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was 150 bucks for that one. Take a look at some stuff, man. The boy genius. All right, what made you fall in love with hip hop? Do you remember a song I can tell or a exactly moment? Exactly what I was doing to the to the moment. I was in New York, um, playing with Star War men, um, 1979. Me and my my best friend, his name, uh, my best friend at the time named Dakar Calendar. We was playing with our Star Wars figures, and Rappers Delight came on the radio. And you know, me being a music lover in general, you know, I'm I'm, um, at the time I'm what seven years old. And I hear it, and I'm like, yo, what is this? And then as time goes on, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, no, I want to say Curtis Blow the Brakes. Clap your hands, everybody, if you got what it takes. And at the same time, Furious Five, Freedom. By the time freedom, and this is all in a matter of like in months. a kid's mind, it's gotta be months. I don't even know if it was a month. Um but between the breaks, but freedom for to this second will remain my number one hip-hop record, I was done. Like, I was 100% like, yo. I'm talking about at seven years old, eight years old, the radio station knew my name because I called so much to listen to Freedom. Really? So, y'all got to understand how geeked I was. I was on um, a particular cruise. And and was performing, and Melly Mel was performing, and he got me um, one of the four SMDs, a couple other people to do all the parts in Freedom. Like, yo, I like who you want me to be? I'm Cowboy. Like, let's go. <laughs> put me on. Put I, me in, Coach. Put me in right now. I know every word. I know every background to that song. I know every that record, Freedom. Number one, got me into rap. Number two, got me into music production. Even though I was into music before, but that record made me study music. I learned how to play the trumpet because of freedom. All the breakdown. I I went to school. I learned how to play the trumpet. I mastered freedom, and then I quit the trumpet. <laughs> um, uh, it. I learned how to play the piano because of freedom. I played the bass line on Everything started with Rapper's Delight, but for me, it really, I was infected at Freedom, and from Freedom on out, it was a rap. Like, it was a rap. Then you'd have loved it. Like I said, when you, you said you follow us on Instagram, you know, Melly Mel performed at, at our concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he you came out, off? 
He couldn't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just you know, Melly Mel's my hero, man. Y'all don't understand. Like, I got the biggest beating of my life due to Melly Mel. Because I had to be Grandmaster Kwame Kwam. And I had to tag that on my great-grandmother's hallway wall. Nice white wall. And I tagged that thing on the stairway. And my father came home from work and saw that. Dragged me out of my great-grandmother's crib. Did you do that? That ain't me. <laughs> so you mean to tell me out of this whole building, there's no there's another Kwame in there. There's a Grandmaster Kwame Kwam. It wasn't me. And then I broke down crying. The devil made me do it. I'm about to beat the devil out of you. But you know what I'm saying? I was like, yo, I was gonna be a grandmaster. And my name was going to be Kwame Kwame. And I'm like, Kwame Kwame. <laughs> I was going to be in the Furious Five. You was going to never tell me anything different. First rhyme, what was it? My first rhyme? Yeah. Something that sounded like Melly Mel, most likely. I don't even remember. I, my first rhyme was definitely a play off of uh, Melly Mel. So it was like, Kwame Kwame, the name of mine, and every is my zodiac sign, you know, stuff like that. But I would be like, I was the kid on the school bus, you know, me making beats and everything. That was like, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a drummer, so I'd be on the school bus drumming and rhyming at the same time, just doing, you know, uh, uh, mimicking uh, Melly Mel, be honest with you. But, you know, I think when I got super serious, when I started writing rhymes, the writing of rhymes was due to Slick Rick. Um, because people got to understand, and this is funny, this is a Houston connection. I'm definitely going to, a Houston-Dallas-Fort Worth connection. Okay. Every summer, I would come to either Houston, Dallas, or Fort Worth as a kid. My aunt, I have an aunt that lives in Houston, or used to live in Houston, and another aunt used to live in Dallas-Fort Worth. So I'd be going back and forth. And I would bring hip-hop to my friends out here because they didn't have any hip like there was no like 1981 there was no internet yeah there was like you know <laughs> I was bringing all this different hip hop so I remember like the summer like 84 83 Lottie Dottie was on was circulated through New York as a tape oh yeah <laughs> you know what Lottie Dottie like nobody, you know, it wasn't a record. So people in New York that was in the hip-hop knew Lottie Dottie. He had a couple of records. Well, not records, but routines. Lottie Dottie, Treat Her Like a Prostitute. Um, and, you know, some other things, you know, with him and Dougie Fresh. So that, those story rhymes as a 13-year-old had me like, yo, 12, 13 years old, that started me to write rhymes. But my rhymes was nasty as hell like it was the most sexually nasty and I wasn't I'm 12 years I'm 13 years old I ain't doing nothing I ain't even <laughs> kissing no girl <laughs> and I'm writing the craziest stuff and I can't even I'm don't even get me to start saying the rhymes because I don't I don't remember none of them and I write I'm like books all these story rhymes this chick did this and that chick did that uh. and then to make it even worse as a kid Herbie Lovebug, I used to stay at my grandmother's a lot, and Herbie Lovebug was two blocks down. 
and Herbie's younger brother, Steve, was my good friend. So Steve would call me, yo, Dana Dane's here. So I'd sneak over there and hanging out with Dana and asking him a bunch of questions about Dana, about him and Slick Rick and everything. Because, like, Dana Dane and Slick Rick, those were my heroes. And I was like, yo, um, I, I got these stories too, man. I want to be in the Kango crew like you and Slick Rick. <laughs> and, he, and Dana's looking at me like, yo, get the heck out of here. And to make it even worse, I got, you know, I'm going to tell y'all my rap name at the time. It's better than my first rhyme. My first rap name was The Sweet Daddy. Jazzy K GQ. Oh my God. And you had to say that whole name. I am the sweet daddy Jazzy K GQ. <laughs> and if you really knew me, you could call me KGQ. But you can't go shorter than that. You call me K or Q, you like, yo, no, do a dog. You, you disrespecting the name. It's, D, it's the sweet daddy Jazzy K GQ. I am the smoothest rapper out here. I got all the story rhymes. I got all the girls. I'm 12, I'm 13 years old, and I'm sweet daddy Jazzy KGQ. And <laughs> so, you know, so so writing those rhymes, trying to be like Rick and Dana, stalking Dana. I like seriously. Now Dana's one of my best friends right now, so I could easily stalking this man. And and I I remember my mother finding one of my nasty story rhymes. And she said, these girls in these rhymes, what if that was me, somebody talking about me? Or what was that somebody talking about your aunt or your grandmother? Like, these ain't, these ain't it's, it's, it's just make-up stories. Like, you know what? So you are you proud of the rhymes that you're writing like this? Well, you know, because I'm a rapper, and you know, this is what I do. I'm Sweet Daddy Jazzy KGQ. <laughs> she said, oh, for real? So she called my grandmother in the room, called my aunts in the room. She said, all right, I'll read that rhyme to them. I can't, I can't do that. No, 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 no. Read it word for word. I took this girl in the bed one day, and I'm like, oh, my God. Most embarrassing moment ever. <laughs> and... And those first story rhymes, like, yo, man, I can't, I, I, I can't say what I said, but the premise of these rhymes, man, I clearly, and the thing was, I know my aunts and my grandma's laughing you say, at me. I, I could always beep it. I don't even, it's just like, you know, like, I just remember like, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, I said something, something, something. The girl thought I was dumb. She came to my crib so I could give her some. She opened up her legs. And I ate the pussy out like a bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> and then as I was doing it, I was going yum, 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 yum. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandmother's so much trying not to laugh, man. <laughs> And it was just like, it was just so funny, man. It was just, you know, I was, I was saying these whack, super whack story rhymes. But no, 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 I'm not just saying they were super whack because I was winning contests. Like I was going out, I was sneaking out at night. I was going in these rap contests. I was, you know, my stories was dope. Like, like you wasn't going to tell me that I wasn't going to be in a Kango crew with Slick Rick and Dana Dane. There's no way in, in life 
And then on on the other side of that, my other hero, who was in the neighborhood as well, um, was Cool G Rap. Mm. So I had like these super lyrical rhymes on one end and these super intricate, nasty story rhymes on the other end. I didn't know which way to go. I was like, <laughs> one of these ways I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. So yeah, I was, man, I was very, 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 very into my lyrical content, you know, and a lot of times people don't, who don't, who only know the surface Kwame, you know, they may not understand that because a lot of the records that I made, every, every record that I made, there was a weird story or social experiment behind it. So it gave a lot of people the impression that I was this type of guy or that type of guy where me on the other end, I was on some, I'm going to do a record like this and I want to see if it works just so I can laugh the fact that it worked. You know what I'm saying? So it was, you know, it was, it was, I was, you know, my, my whole take on things was crazy. So give me the true hip hop story on only you. You know, we've been together for some time and I've been experiencing some kind of feelings that's changing. What was the social experiment behind that? Social experiment was this. Back in 1989-1990, mainstream radio stations felt like they were forced to play rap. A lot of stations around the country had something called the No Rap Workday, where rap could not be played from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 p.m. at night. Anything after 6 p.m. at night, they figured everybody was at home, the kids were at home, and... The rap records could get played, with the exception of very high-profile rap records, like you know, MC Hammer could get played in the daytime, but not like that. So you have that on one end, and I always felt like, yo, man, I'm, you know, my first album was out and and did well, but I could not understand why I couldn't wake up. Why do I have to wake up in the morning and hear Caribbean Queen, and I can't hear the rhythm? You know what I'm saying? And especially, I spent a lot of time in L.A., and in L.A., K-Day was a 24-hour hip-hop station. Mm-hmm. So it was crazy for me to listen, wake up at 7 in the morning and hear just a random album cut off of my album every day. Or, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning to hear the current single for my record. You know, I'm like, yo, why can't, why do I have to go to L.A. to hear this? Why can't I do this at home? Why can't I go around the country and hear my records at any given time of the day? So, so um, on one end, when I created Only You, when I wrote Only You, I originally wrote it for Vanessa Williams. I did the beat. I wrote, it was a full song, and I wrote it to, because they were saying that Vanessa Williams wants a new hip-hop sound. Uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to put something together. You know, And they asked me if I could put something together. I think through Herbie or something like that. And Herbie dragged his neck and it didn't work. It didn't happen. So in kicks in my social experiment. What if I make a record that's 50% R&B, 50% rap, all danceable, and Atlantic Records do not service this record as a rap record. Hmm. Service this record as a record. Go to the radio station when you serve it, and I, I'm using terms like service this record right, because right. I've been in I've been in this industry too long, and I'm using these words. But I'm like, yo, let the radio station know 
that it's a record, not a rap record. And it's, no, we're, we're going to confuse them. I'm like, nah, just put it in as a record. And then rap, and, and all these record companies started starting their quote-unquote black music division, urban division in Atlantic, had Atlantic Street. So anything that was serviced through Atlantic Street was had to be rap. You know, it was me, DOC, MC Light. And I'm like, yo, don't put it through Atlantic Street. Don't put Atlantic Street on my record. Watch what happens. And at 6 o'clock in the morning, I heard only you. Everywhere I went, 9 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock. I'm like, see, I told y'all. And the only place it didn't work was the place that I lived. And it's crazy. It's my most classic record. And New York City would not play that record to save my life. And I'm like, damn, I'm trying to do my experiments so I can wake up at home to hear my joint. And New York is like, this ain't New York enough. And so, so you know, for the most part, worldwide, it worked. But um, for the my my short mindedness on that part, part trying to get New York to play a record that, um, when I wake up, it didn't work. But you know, it did what it did. Wow. Now let's go back to Vanessa Williams because you ended up rapping on Work to Do, right? No, no, I never, I never rapped on any of her records. Uh-uh. Who was that was on work to do? Because it almost sounded like you. It should have been me because I wanted to marry Vanessa Williams. When well, I, was I mean, kid. everybody did. <laughs> she was gonna be my 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 older my sugar mama, and and I actually saw her in the street one day, and I ran into her, and I looked at her, and I ran the other way because I was scared to death, because she was like my. She was right there, man. I wanted to. I, I, I was making records for her and everything. I'm like, <laughs> I won't get me from this. Then she married the ball player. I'm like, yeah. That old tall dude ain't got nothing on me. Yeah. One of them 6'8 dudes. No. He can't rap. <laughs> I make songs for this woman. Vanessa. Broke out on you. Yeah, man. She can still get it. Your, fir- <laughs> your, first, your first production, Antoinette, right? Yo, it was the wackest record I ever made in my life. Um, Baby Make It Boom. Baby Make It Boom by Antoinette. Push up on it. You know you want it. Had enough fuck. I can make you move. Feel the groove. Baby Make It Boom. They had started the record. And then they needed somebody to come in and like fix it up. I was 15 at the time. And I just remember like fixing the beat up. Making the hook singing on the record like James Brown and just was like, yo, man, this is like terrible. But I was just hyped the fact that I was being a producer. I was super hyped for that. And then the record came out. They spelt my name wrong. They tried to get me for my credits and my publishing. I remember the manager and my mother had a fight in the, in the, in the studio about it. <laughs> but, hey, I was still hyped. They never played the record, so, you know. It had like a little, if I remember correctly. It was like, like little, baby, baby, baby. It was like no, it was like a salt and pepper push it feel. Yeah, yeah. They they wanted they wanted that that. So that was know. on purpose. Yeah, no. Everybody thought that push it push it was the template. If you wanted to go pop, you had to make a record like push it or going back to Cali or you know records with the Planet Rock beat. Simple. So that'd yeah. be like one twenty. Boom. Yeah. Boom. 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 And then play some like some weird synthesizing stuff and rap slow you know you know basically that's how you go pop (laughs) whatever man what's the uh true hip-hop story behind uh um 
the man we all know and love. What's his name? It's the man we all know and love. What's his name? Qu- 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 I think his name is Kwame. Kwame. The man we all know and love. Um, my grandmother, one of my grandmothers, well, is weird. Well, both my grandmothers. We all live in the same neighborhood um, in Queens called East Elmhurst. And anybody that knows New York, LaGuardia Airport is in our neighborhood. Like, you know, you can walk to the to the airport. And um, my grandmother used to rent a room. To, a, to stewardesses, she would rent like rooms so when they land, you know, um, they have a place to stay instead of getting a hotel or getting an apartment. So this one particular stewardess became real cool with my grandmother and I think my mom. And I remember going upstairs and walking past the room and she was butt naked. <laughs> and she was bad man and I was just looking like you know being like I don't know 11 12 yum 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 I'm like (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) I'm like yo and the weird thing is she caught me and she just looked at me and she smiled and just closed the door real slow so I was like (laughs) and I never said but it was always an imprint in my head. And so, you know, me and my imagination, I turned it into a story. I came home, there was company, some young lady, friend, another family. It just went straight from there. Like, yo, I was that stewardess. In my head, to this day, when I rap that song, I see that lady in that, in that, um, in that room. And I'm like, yeah. And, and then, the man we all know and love, I want to say from a Lucy episode. Um, somebody walked in and Desi, Desi on there was like, it's the man we all know and love, Charlie. I was like, oh, that is me. <laughs> like, you know, like, and that's as a, as a little kid, I, um, I adopted that. And, uh, uh, I, I'm telling you now, like 98% of everything I do is, based on some sort of pop culture event that has happened in my life. Like there's no, there's always a connection to something that actually happened or I've actually seen or actually did in almost every single thing that I, that I've ever done in some way, shape or form. One of the big boys. One of the big boys is the fact that I really could not, I knew that I was never going to be Slick Rick. I was never going to be Slick Rick. I was never going to be Big Daddy Kane. I was never going to be Rakim. I was never going to be Dana Dane. I was never going to be Coogee Rap. And I had to understand that these were my idols as a kid. And I was never going to get anywhere trying to be like them. I was only going to get somewhere trying to be who I actually am. And it was a note to self. That whole thing. Like, you know, I say tough silk soaps, 
$100 Bally boots, hats to a tilt because I felt substitute. That's Slick Rick. I'm, def- I'm describing Rick and Dana at one time. And, and, and you know, um, and at the same time, same exact time, you know, I, I pretty much dressed the same way I've always dressed. I don't, you know, sweet daddy, jazzy KGQ, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> I keep it GQ. So I just remember I wasn't the guy with the fat rope chain. I wasn't the guy with the big four-finger ring. I, wa- I just wasn't that guy. I couldn't be that guy. I could not afford to be that guy. I was the guy. I was Macklemore. I shopped at thrift shops. I, I, I wore my old-school suits, and, you know, I was on my weirdo stuff, and I remember having this girlfriend. And if you can imagine, let's, since we're in Houston, let's take Westheimer. Imagine Westheimer by the gallery. The street looks just like that. So where the where the mall is was her building. If you try to cross over Westheimer, it's like a little divider in the middle. Mm-hmm. Then the other side of Westheimer, and then that little plaza where where um, Grand Lux is. So it's just like that. The way I'm describing it. So I'm crossing over this big street in the middle and into this other plaza. And I'm looking at my girlfriend coming out of her building. And then a dude pulls up in an Audi 5000, gets out, dumb fat rope chains on, like a bunch of them. And he saw me with her. So he goes to her like, yo, who's that dude? And I I don't, yo, Bonnick man kicked in. I can hear, I don't know how I heard across the street. But she was like, that weirdo is my cousin. One of the big boys was written that night. Because I was never going to be that dude. I was never going to be in the Audi 5000 with the fat chains. It was just not going to happen. And that's how I wrote that story. It was like, yo, man, accept it for who you are and what you are. And, you know, I have this conversation all the time. It's like, um, you know, I even learned the hard way. I, you know, when, when... when I transitioned into being a producer and being a successful producer, there was a period in the mid 2000s where I did dumb stuff with my money, meaning I was one of those guys like all the other guys with the iced out chains and the watches and the giant earrings and the 8 billion pairs of Air Force Ones and I had to literally listen to my own record to check myself. Like, dude, you are not that dude. You bought a throwback? You did what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what did you just do? You know, like, yo, man. Yo. Was this around the was this around the uh the on fire time? Yeah, man. And I'm trying to make up for, you know, like, yo, it kicked in like that that issue. With the girl in the Audi 5000, it kicked in like, yo, I had, yo, when I tell you, my diamond chain collection was the monster. I had my, I look, my house looked like a, a jewelry store. And I'm doing all this stuff between that and another real um, interesting event in my life. You know, I had to literally, because I wasn't performing. I wasn't doing, I was like, yo, I'm a producer now. I ain't doing no more rap shows. I'm on, I'm selling tens of millions of records. I don't have to do this old school stuff. And I got in my bag for about a couple of years. Like, yo, what are you doing? And and then 
I just remember either I accepted, the, I did a performance. I can't remember what it was for, but I did one of the big boys. And as I was rapping it, I kind of felt like I stepped out of myself and was talking to myself like, yo, dude, yo, man, take that crap off and throw that weird old sweet daddy Jazzy K's GQ stuff back on and do what you do, man. You bugging right now. So, you know, like that song, that song is very important to me and I try to make people know when I perform it that this is an important song and and all it can apply to all different things in is, life. Is it the most important song for you? Um content wise uh just personally. Personally, yeah. 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 One one of the most important songs. I would say I have like very like maybe three very important songs that I've done from myself and that is in that top three. What's the other two? Push the panic button on my first album. Fourth album that nobody has. The sexually charged one. No, it's called um, Winner. But there is a there's a there's a the fourth album that nobody has called Incognito. Like you know, you jinx yourself with your titles. <laughs> It's a song called, that's a very important album, period. Like, if anybody who's a Kwame fan, that is an extremely important album because it's very retrospective and introspective, and it tells the story of a broke-ass rapper trying to get back on without trying to say, I'm a broke-ass rapper trying to get back on because that's what I was. And and the perspective of the records that I was coming with um, makes that album of my most important album more than anything, and it, you know it was the least the least um, purchased, but the most important. How impactful was Biggie's verse? Your life is played out like Kwame in those polka dots. Where did that? Where did that? Did it shift anything in your career? Oh, it shifted everything in my career. I think, first of all, I love that record. Primo beat the hell out of that record. Big beat the hell out of those rhymes. I heard the record maybe a year before it came out. And I thought it was just a line like, okay, Polka Dots all played out in 1994, like 1993. Mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever and nobody's messing with me right now so I'm kind of played out too like so it wasn't I ain't take it personal everybody else did people treated me like I had leprosy and I was going to infect everybody with polkadelic disease man <laughs> yo man I couldn't Get on stage. Like I, I never had. 
Yo, anybody knows me when I get on stage, I will tear a stage down. I do not play with my stage show. I'm a, you know, and I don't toot my own horn, but I don't mess up on those shows, man. Like, for real. Like, I go in. People were booing because they, you know, they now down with Biggie. So I'm the enemy. I'm walking down the street. I'm getting laughed at. None of my chicks is calling me no more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I tried, I'm trying to go out to the club. They would, as soon as I walk in, shouts to Kwame and then play the record. <laughs> yo, man, it was like, I felt, I was, yo, I feel like Bill Cosby right now. You know? <laughs> um, I was just like the, just the hip hop pariah, man. Like no one would rock with me. Like people that I knew, like artists that I knew were hardcore fans. I'm talking about artists like Puff that would follow me around. Was acting like I was the worst thing ever. You know, talking about that. Hey, I never rock with them polka dots anyway. You know, Quan was corny anyway. And then it's like everybody got on their street hardcore. I want to be a drug dealer. I'm down with Biggie Smalls movement. And it was just like they just delivered a coffin to my house, delivered the nails, put me in it, and then nailed the rest of it. And then shit me off. You know, that's that's how impactful that line was because of the that that started the era of the sheep. People became sheep. The hip hop audience became, started to become sheep at that moment in 1994. And they haven't stopped. You know, I'm cool now. Like, I don't get any backlash, but I'm saying just hip hop in general is now, it's like that sheep movement has always, has continued from that point. So I think that that line was extremely impactful to people that followed those words you know even i know big didn't i, I personally know big didn't mean anything malicious behind it it was a line to cause a reaction but the people nah you couldn't tell the people that especially new york especially brooklyn where i was living like, <laughs> yo i just want to go to the store man i gotta bust your ass because you talking I'm walking, trying to go to the store. Like, really? It's th it's like that. It's like that when I get on the train and I got a, a bunch of people threatening to jump me because I'm anti-Biggie. Like, yo, it was crazy. Crazy. How long did it take for it to go away? Or has it gone completely? Oh, it's gone. I think, you know, the record's over 20 years old. So, I, you know, I think took hit records as a producer to shut people up because and 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 you know I, I tell people when people go what's your what's advice to get in the business I'm like I ain't got no advice to get in the business but my thing is just don't stop you know I think if I would have stopped that line would still be very impactful to this day and you know, and I, that line made me make a very serious decision. And that decision was like, yo, are you going to be a statistic? You're going to allow yourself to be remembered by a line? Or are you going to figure out, figure this thing out 
and continue on your mission. And um you know that 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 road was hard, man. That's that that that's like you know, I'm not I'm not the most religious person, but yo, that's like one of the Moses journeys through the desert, man, and nobody believe in you. You know, <laughs> one of those type of things, man. And um did that moment make you change the name? Is that where the K one came from? Yo, that K one million was a joke, actually. You know, because it was somebody I was submitting beats, and they're like, "Yo, man, you coming in here with a million beats?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm like a robot. I'm like the T one million. I'm the K one million. Oh, that's a cool name." And so it became a nickname just amongst my little producer friends at the time, and the producer that actually helped me get back on. My boy Ron, Amin Ra Lawrence, mm. um, and and coincidentally, he's the producer of Hypnotized, mm -hmm. uh, Money, Power, Respect, a co-producer of the Benjamins. So all that bad boy stuff, it was a bad boy producer that helped me get back in the game, and this this shows you how I'm gonna tell you how deep my comic book thing is at the same time. So. Ron was the hot producer, and so he had this production company. He was like, yo, I know you're trying to get back on as a rapper. That's not going to work. But these beats are serious. You need to give me some of these beats, and I can sell them under my company. And because I went through the proper channels to sell them, we can split the production credit in half. You know, it got to be produced by... You and me. And a lot of times people misconstrue what producing is. They think it's just making beats. But I understood that it was more than that. I understood that, yeah, he was taking these beats. He was selling these beats. He, were go he was going into the studio, helping the artist along, and being a producer as well. So I really had no problem with it. And we landed a Mary J. Blige record. LL Cool J record all at the same time. So I went from ass broke to having three major placements literally in two weeks. As soon as I gave him them beats, because he wasn't selling any beats. That was the crazy thing. His beats dried up. So when I gave him, he started boom, boom, boom. We were selling beat after beat after beat. Which like, Mary oh. J. Blige song? Um, on the No More Drama album, the very first song on the album called Love. Like my least favorite record. That I ever did, but which um, one's for LL? Um, on the Ten album, it was a record called Ten Million Stars, my most favorite record that I've ever produced. You could call it a comeback. I laid back, analyzed the vibes, and realized I own that crown for lyrical combat. Spit more raps to count more stacks. Kicking back in the coop, I got loose, relax. And uh, um, another record called Throw Your L's Up. Funny thing is on Throw Your L's Up, I'm on the record with him. I'm doing the hook as and he he's rhyming. Um and that's how it got out that I was producing because L walked in as I was laying the beat down 
And he was like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm K1 million. He's like, what? <laughs> and he told everybody, yo, Quam got beats. And the reason why the K1 million, and it was for those three, maybe two more records after that. The reason why was because Ron convinced me that my name was dirt in the industry, which it was. So to circumvent that, reinvent yourself. Your name is K1 Million. Nobody knows who that is. You can come out with all these dope gangster-ass beats. They're not going to ever suspect Kwame made these gang these hard beats. Nope. So it was, you know, another social experiment. Because when I heard On Fire. New York City. You are now rocking with the best. Boy Banks. It's burning hot. We on fire. Yeah. The Lord Banks. And then they were like, yo, you I, you know, I had we had a partner up here at the time uh-huh. uh who always read all the credits. Yeah. And when he read the credits, he's like, hey, wait a minute. Kabri. Kwame. <laughs> we're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, no. Yeah, and and but what broke me and Ron up was he got upset that LL found out and everybody was and LL and his his A&R was spreading the word so people started calling me directly and Ron was like yo man no diss to Ron because me and Ron are very good friends to this day but he was like yo man you gotta chill with that you know you gotta stay with K1 million it's like I'm Batman and you're Robin I was like, wait, yo, yo, get out my house. You ain't never going to call me Robin. That's it. I'm not down over being called Robin. I was like, yo, I'm Batman. You ain't never calling me Robin. I turned into an eight-year-old. I was like, wait, we going to stop doing business over that? Yo, you never calling me. Get out of my house right now. It was World War Three in there. I was like, yo. And that's how I just branched out, literally, from being called Robin I branched out and confidence back. Yeah, started started popping them records out, man. You know, and I think um, what really helped, what stopped me from being K one million, was when Missy Elliott shouted me out for the tweet record that I did. I did a record called "Turn the Lights Off," and you know, in the beginning of the record, she was like, "Kwame, you stupid for this one. Let's take them back like polka dots." You stupid if, for this. If, 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 if this world. That switched everything. I was no longer, you know, corny Kwame, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then that dropped. Then On Fire dropped. And then um, Will Smith Switch dropped. And and these were three records in three different genres. Pop, R&B, hip-hop. And they all did very well at the same time. So that just, like, turned turned the whole whole, um, tide. How'd you get into doing the soundtracks? The um, the the tweet record. As weird as it sounds, the tweet record. Um, for people that don't know, when you get a song in a movie, it, the the job title is a music supervisor, and a music supervisor's job is to go out, find songs, find music for a movie that fit the different scenes, 
and and do all the proper legal things to get that in the movie. So he was flipping, and this is like a guy in L.A. that's so not hip-hop, and he was flipping through channels and came across that song on the video. And he was like, who the hell did this? And they, you know, he found out, and they called me up, and they're like, we're doing this movie called Step Up. And, um, you know, they gave me the premise, and I sat with the, um, the uh, him and the director, Ann, and we were talking, and they sat with me as I was producing somebody's record. I think I was producing, like, a Chingy record or something. Somebody, I don't know. And the director was like, I want the lead character to be you, meaning Mario was already the lead, mm -hmm. but we're going to model him after you. His movement, the way you produce records, blah, blah, blah. We're going to make that character, and we want you to construct songs in and around that character. Now, flash forward, the music comes out. The biggest um, score that I did in the movie is that end piece where they do this big dance number and right. orchestration and everything. Um, and then there was something else. But I did so much. A lot of the music that I did, they you know, they did the dances to, but then you do a deal with Jive Records and then Jive Records says, well, we need this artist in the movie, that artist. So the original music starts to come out and they throw their artists in. So, you know, and that's a movie, that's how that's how the movies go. But that got me very active. Between that and flash forward back, I mean, rewind back a couple of years, I did a, um, a HBO movie starring Nicole Ari Parker called Dancing in September. And how I got that was real weird. A friend of mine was an actor on the movie, and he overheard the director saying, we need some old school Kwame records in this movie. And he's like, well, I know Kwame. You ain't gotta, you can just call him up. So he's like, word? And then he called me, and we just started talking, and I was like, you know, if you want, I could just make something for the movie. And he sent me, like, the script, and I started making, tailor-making records for the movie. And um, that, that um, those landed, and the soundtrack ended up getting nominated for Emmy at the same time. So you had that happen, the the um, dance, I mean, Step Up happened, and this is the craziest thing. Do not ask me for the title of this movie, because I will never give it out. I don't even remember it, but another friend of mine, this is the funniest stuff ever. Now, another friend of mine was doing an independent film all at the same time. And she asked me would I make these records for this independent film. And she gave, and it was a story about two girls growing up in Brooklyn. One was like a neo-soul chick, mm -hmm. real holier than thou, and one was like a hood hip-hop chick. And the hood hip-hop chick she was modeled like after like a little Kim and she was auditioning for a character like P. Diddy. And at the audition, she found out that her grandmother was gravely ill. So she asked this Neo soul chick, her best friend to step in cause she knew all her rhymes and the Neo soul chick steps in and ends up getting the record deal. So this chick who's totally not some hardcore chick turns into the biggest hardcore female rapper out and i'm like oh this is a dope story so i'm making all these records and songs and got the you know 
the um the actresses and stuff coming in and we record in so the the girl who plays the main chick comes in and I had an assistant at the time. This is when I was in my diamond days. I, I thought okay. I needed an assistant. <laughs> and he looks at me and he's like, Yo, you're not gonna believe this. You know who that is? I was like, Nah, who is it? The actress. And he emails me a porno. This porno chick. And I'm like, that ain't her. He's like, no, that's her. So I don't, I don't, I leave it alone. Making all these records. And so they're like, yo, you should come down to the set, blah, 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 blah. And he's all for my porn heads out here now. <laughs> I get to the set, and the first person I see is Mr. Marcus. Now, anybody who watches porn, black porn, Mr. Marcus is like the Denzel of porn. <laughs> and so I'm like, I seen this dude before, but I didn't want to admit that. Right. And I'm like, I walked in and I walked into a full on porno movie. And I'm like, yo, what am I doing music for? And I already signed off. I got paid everything. And so I pulled my homegirl, who was the director and the writer, and I was like, yo, what the hell is this? Well, the only way I could get funding for the story was to turn it into a porno movie. And I was like, yo, you got me doing music for a porn? Yo, you take my name off of that joint. <laughs> I'm not, you can't take the music back. I did it. I said, yo, take my name. Just, I, I came up with some weird name. I'm never going to tell the name. And so, like, the movie comes out. And then I get a call from the director. Yo, son, you just won seven AVN awards. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody knows what an AVN award is, well, I just gave it's myself the up. Grammy. <laughs> it's the Grammy of porno movies, and I caught seven. You like Michael Jackson? Best song, the best. I was like, yo, you know what? I know this is your first movie. You keep them awards. You deserve it. I don't, I don't want that because I thought it was like golden nuts. Like you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I wasn't gonna never put that up. <laughs> In my, yo, I'd rather, yo, it's cool. Y'all y'all keep that, man. It's cool. Because my name ain't on it. You ain't never know it's me. I'm never going to say the title of this movie. I'm, you know, Mr. Marcus has done 800 million movies. You're never going to find the movie. And it was like, it was like this girl's attempt to make a real movie out of a, and I'm like, yo, man, only me. <laughs> and I never told this story before, so y'all got an exclusive I'm get, tale. I'm gonna get to googling. I'm uh, you can Google. Well, I probably don't want to do it on my work computer. Never find it. <laughs> you ain't gonna ever find I'm it. Get your one. number. I'm gonna find it. <laughs> like aha. <laughs> and I remember having. I remember it's so funny. Like sometimes I could be like a pack rat, but not like a dirty pack rat. And I had the movie just sitting in my studio for like two years and I remember people like somebody was in the studio and they picked the, the DVD up like yo what is this oh give me that you don't want to know what that is <laughs> and I don't think I've ever seen that DVD since I think I must have destroyed it you know like when they call the bomb squad and they have a guy in a suit come out and like <laughs> blow something up I swear I did that to that movie that thing <laughs> nope hey man Vin Diesel your yes. cousin yes which video was it that you had in breakdancing in um, he wasn't breakdancing. He was the boyfriend antagonist in a story that I had called Nasty. And he was the boyfriend of this girl. 
and you know he was Vin Diesel. He wasn't Vin Diesel yet, but he was Diesel. And I was like, I need the most bruiser-looking dude I know. I'm gonna well get my my big cousin, and he came in and he played that role. And it was funny that I was gonna he was gonna be a rapper. He was gonna be my artist. And so like I put him in the video. And it was like, okay, if the record hits and they, the video becomes a hit, which it did not. Um, you know, they know who you look like, and then we're going to put these records out. Uh, so yeah. so you got records of him rapping? Not anymore, no. No, was, those are things were like on tape. or You know what I'm saying? Some like old technology that I probably have it in a box somewhere in some random storage by my mom's house in With the South porno. Carolina. No, that porno. <laughs> that porno had one copy, and that porno is gone, 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 gone. You tell me, all right, this second phase of the career right now. So we with the, you know, I will not even second phase. I mean, well, this this chapter of the journey now, the alumni. So you, Chub Rock, you got Dana Dane, and like you said, I guess you said eventually you talked it into existence. You were going to be a member of the Kango, the Kango crew, in oh, an off kind of way. You know, what's so funny. <laughs> how? Let me just go back real quick. How I met Slick Rick. I wanted to fight him, but I didn't know it was Slick Rick. I walk into the studio. If anybody has my first album, I have a record called Sweet Thing. It was a play on Shaka Khan, Sweet Thing. We'll embrace, emotions will sing, a symphony of love to my sweet thing. And I walk into the studio and Dana is in the studio, and I already knew Dana real well, and and I see the tape to my Sweet Thing in the studio, and another version of Sweet Thing playing, and I came, I went ballistic, like, yo, who's biting my stuff, who... He was like, and and Dana was like, yo, chill, my man, my man made this beat for me. I'm like, I didn't mean to know. I was like, yo, 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 son, yo, you biting my beats, man. Who the, yo, who you think you are, man? Yo, that's Rick, man, that's Rick. I was like, yo, I don't care, I'll beat your ass. And I'm like, wait, 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 Rick, 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 <laughs> like my hero. And he was like, he and Rick was like, and I'm like all of 14, man, 15. <laughs> and Rick is like, yo, man, I didn't know. That's why we brought the tape in to compare the two records. You know, your record is dope. I was like, yo, man, Rick, man, just don't steal my record, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to come out. I had no, it was like no release date in sight. I was like, I'm just trying to come out, me. And I was like, Dana, man, tell Rick don't be mad at me, man. I knew I was going to punch him in the face and everything. But I really wasn't going to punch him in the face, man. Dana was like, man, don't worry about it. So, but <laughs> flash forward, the alumni is a collective starring Dana Dane, Chub Rock, Special Ed, Moni Love, DJ Tat Money um, from my crew and um, Steady B and myself. And we get on stage together at the same time, bouncing each other's records off of each other. And we just, it's an hour plus long show of classic hip hop. You know, we go through every element of hip hop except for graffiti and that's about to change. So it's like DJing, dancing, MCing, beatboxing at times. And 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 we literally bug out 
for a whole hour and change and get paid for it. It is the best time ever, 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 ever. Got to get y'all back down here, man, and, and like I said, and, and, and do a show. I would yeah. love, I, I I would love to see that. And and the, and the cool thing about it too, because Moni Love is doing the morning show in Philly. Yeah, you know, man, yep, you yep. know, Moni she Love broadcast is, from here. Put it to work. Yeah, she's been like my secret crush since like ninety two, ninety one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm not gonna ever blow any of my rap compadres up, but if one more classic rapper calls me up and ask me to hook them up with Moni because that's like, you know, like my sister, I'm going to throw a rock in your window. Like, stop doing that. I'm not hooking nobody up with Moni Love. Well, when I when I, when I I heard the story about Big Daddy Kane, how Big Daddy Kane tried to get with her, <laughs> that, <laughs> you heard that story, right? She told me. I just wasn't listening. I, I know she told me and she ended up with school or that, scrap. That they... We're making a McDonald's run when she was on tour with Digital Underground yeah, and, yeah. And, and Big Daddy Kane and Queen Latifah and the whole nine. So she had the girls with the cars. So they were making a McDonald's run. When they're on the McDonald's run, she's out there with Scrap. Scrap pulls it to the side like, yo, Big Daddy Kane wants to holler at you. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. When we get back to the hotel, if you give him the bag, he knows you with it. If you don't give him the bag, He's going to know you're not with it. <laughs> so so she tells him. Oh, I'm going to see Kane in two days. He's going to get that one. I asked him. I'm going to have the craziest chick out. Give him a bag of McDonald's. I swear to God. <laughs> so, so, and I'm going to put it on Instagram. So, so she says, well, he's going to have to. You have to let him. He's going to know I'm not with it because here's the deal. I want to holler at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. how she ended up making money in the middle. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Little hip hop history fact for some of y'all yeah, out there, I, don't I do remember everything. <laughs> man, I appreciate you, man, coming through. Like I said, we could do this all day, but look like yeah, everybody man. else trying to get tired and you know ready to roll out. So yeah, you know, you know, I just want to say to 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 my heads that that um, have supported me, especially with my production. Um, you know, one of the reasons I'm in Houston is um, I currently uh, have been bestowed upon, I have my own label now off of, um, Capitol Records called Make Noise. And, um, finally getting a chance to put out the type of records that I, that I like to put out. Um, and the first artist on Make Noise is the beautiful and talented Vivian Green. So we're out here, you know, doing a lot of promotion. You know, she has a dope record out right now. And so, you know, just check it out. Support it. I produced the whole album. I produced a current single, Get Right Back to My Baby. It feels very classic, just like the records of of my youth. And um, you know, I think, you know, I think people will enjoy it. It's very hip hop infused. But it, I'm not trying to make her like hip hop. She's not gonna come out in a fat rope chain and door knocker earring. Well, you do have some door knockers, don't you? Yeah, you do have. Door <laughs> she does have door knocker earrings. Yes. So, um, you know, so so you know, that's that's. I'm trying to be fully realized that that's that's my my um my thing my motto now to be fully realized. Like you know, let people know that yeah, I can get on stage. I could do this rap stuff. I could do this producing stuff as well. And on a good day, I could do a cartwheel. So, man, appreciate it. You want to say something? Come on. Yeah, come on. Come on. Wait, wait. Wait, wait. wait, wait oh, tell you no. Know, this is the mic. You use this mic right here. No, no, I got it. Oh, that one's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, she's going to run her mouth. No, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not as long-winded as you can be. I know. I've been in here talking for like eight. I was supposed to sit in on her interview and... And you never came because you're talking. No, telling. we were watching. We were watching the reveal. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Coming out of all right. Janet, okay. what, all right. All right. All right. Okay. So I just wanted to say really quickly to all the listeners that um, what I find to be super cool about Quam is while he has transitioned into being a producer for the last 15 plus years, which I think is awesome and amazing, he's still very much always in his artist bag like he's got that's going to always be a part of who he is and like he mentioned the alumni shows with chubb and uh ed and moni and sometimes nice and smooth too you yeah, forgot nice to say that yeah, yeah. uh-huh and um it's just really cool to see i've been to plenty of those shows you know he'll bring me up there <laughs> or play you know the record get right back to my baby that's out so we're like cross promoting if he's doing something he, i'll still go he'll come with me so i've seen him um in his artist element and it's just super dope because that's still what he really loves to do most of all at heart i i think anyway from the outside looking in and he's he still loves hip-hop and he will still get on and rock the hell out out of the stage like he's such an amazing performer if you've never seen him live you know he's so good live he's such a natural i took a look at a couple videos before he came yeah like i saw him i saw you know especially kind of came out did his thing and he came behind him and did the rhythm and he you know did he the killed little it part. like he was writing the yeah rhyme he was like no no exactly like, that's on youtube yeah. exactly I watch, I, I'm yeah he can't watch himself or whatever yeah but he, but you are so so good live and like for me, like I have to go through like all these processes before I can go on stage. But he can get, go on stage right now, and he will rock. And I, I admire that from you know one artist to another because it's not that easy for me that for that to still be in him. You know, twenty five years later is pretty amazing. So just to all the hip hop heads listening, you know, Kwame is definitely he, he's the truth. So I didn't come on to promote me. I came on to big up him. So that's all. All right, all right. That's bye. All. <laughs> Classic hip hop forever. Peace. And that wraps it up with the scientists of sound, the boy genius, the man we all know and love, Kwame. Thank you very much. And thank you very much to the lovely Miss Vivian Green for stopping in and sharing her thoughts about Kwame as well. And because Kwame mentioned Tweet in this interview, it just kind of jarred my memory, reminded me that I have an interview with Tweet that I was never able to air. It is so spiritually powerful that I'm going to air that one on Friday. Matter of fact, here's a little taste. My my pastor uh, at, at Four Band Church, he says, mm-hmm. you can always remember if you know Jesus. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. You know the moment yeah. when you called out and cried the hardest. I know the moment. When was it for you? The moment was in 2005, 2006. Um, it was the album didn't do well. I was getting calls about being dropped and there was just a whole lot of stuff going on. My boyfriend had cheated on me and it was a baby on the way. It was everything I was drinking and smoking all day. <sighs> So that will be Friday, my interview with the Southern Hummingbird Tweet coming up next on the Cut Curator Podcast. Thank you all very much for uh, downloading, liking, subscribing, and sharing all over the world, man. Again, I'm truly humbled and uh, blessed by uh, this opportunity that you all are presenting me. So thank you very much for that. Please, just do me one favor, man. If you like it, just leave a little comment and share it to one person. Man, just hit that little button. Boop, share it to one person. Not a whole lot to ask for. I don't think so. Thanks again. Have a great day. Peace out. Shamir Rob G. The General. Thank you again. <laughs>